You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled Transformers, Part 8. Enjoy. We're going to have some fun this morning. Uh, We're going to get into his promises. And uh, you'll hear us at Highway Church, we emphasize the promises of God a lot. Because it's really the promises reveal to us his heart. And when you know the heart of God, man, everything changes, right? And and that's what enables us to, to understand the scriptures is knowing the heart of the one who wrote them right? So come on, let's join our faith together and let's get ready for the Holy Spirit to, to, to minister to us. Father, we come here this morning right now in this moment in time, and we thank you so much for this precious gathering. Uh, we've left our homes. We're here in public, unashamed, receiving your love for us. And Holy Spirit, I ask you to minister during this time as your word is shared that um, a revealing of Christ would take place that transforms all of us Heal, deliver, set free. Do what only you can do, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in a series right now called Transformers, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. We're hearkening back to my uh, 80s. We're we're a couple 80s rejects, but that's when the Transformers came out, and that was a fun series, and it's kind of had a little revival. But we're talking about being transformed ourselves by the goodness of God. And the way we're doing that is we're removing wrong beliefs from our minds and hearts, and we're replacing them with the real Jesus. You say, well, who's the real Jesus? Well, he's found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts in the first five books of the New Testament. And I, again, I went to church my whole life, but I didn't know the real Jesus until I started reading in the book of John. I thought, wow, why didn't someone tell me this? You know, he was more wonderful than I could have imagined. So that's what we're doing. We're examining a lot of popular beliefs that are out there in churches, but really aren't uh, the heart of God. They aren't in line with God's heart and God's will. So we started with one called self-atonement, and we saw that um, that's really uh, a man-made thing. We can't atone for our own sins. You can't do it. Jesus did it for you. Isn't that wonderful? So you can pray a thousand prayers a day and it's not going to wipe away any sins. It took a perfect sacrifice and Jesus was that sacrifice. And he did it for you. You say, well, what's my role? Believe. <laughs> Receive it. Believe that he took your sins upon himself. Isn't that amazing? When you learn the truth, it's so simple. It's almost frightening. Like, what do you mean? All I got to do is believe. I don't have to say 20 of these prayers and 10 of those and three of those. and do No. Just put your faith in what Christ has done for you. And that's what you'll find. Jesus makes it so simple. Religion has made it so difficult. So we want to keep it simple, right? The simplicity of faith in Christ. And then we talked about real baptism, which we talked about this morning. And now we're talking about a a big giant that's out there. It's a very widespread belief. It's kind of like a superstition, but it's known as fate, F-A-T-E. Or the Christians have given it a term called God's sovereignty, which is kind of a a wrong label for it. But it's this belief that there's some supernatural power controlling everything. And the Bible doesn't teach that. Jesus didn't teach that. So we're really dismantling this thing by looking at Jesus. And we're conscious of something that's very important. Our beliefs don't determine what's true. what, What I believe doesn't create truth. Why is that? Because truth is not a philosophy. Truth is not a religious idea. Truth is a person, and his name is Jesus, right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
So whether whatever I believe doesn't change truth, but what I believe does determine how much truth I personally experience. Very important to understand that. So what I believe doesn't change God, but it does determine how much of him I experience. So it's really good to say, what do I really believe? And is it, is it in line with the real Jesus? Because when you start believing the real Jesus, man, life gets good, really good. Okay? So we saw, we, we looked at the ministry of Jesus, Jesus, and we saw our beliefs can either limit what God can do in our lives, or they can open the door wide for him. That's a big deal, right? So we want that door to be wide open for God to move in our lives because he's good. Okay? And the way that we do that is by focusing on Jesus. Okay? He's the answer. He's not complicated. He's, he really makes it simple. The devil wants life to be complicated, right? He tries to wear you out with a bunch of stuff. We're not going to let him do that. We're going to keep our faith in Jesus. So this idea of it's been, again, wrongly called God's sovereignty is really uh, not the truth. God's sovereignty literally means that he is above all, and that is true. God is above all, but what God's sovereignty does not mean is that he's controlling everything, okay? God's sovereignty does not mean he's controlling everything, and it does not mean um, that everything that happens is his will. That's another misnomer, okay? So God's sovereignty doesn't mean that he's controlling everything, and it doesn't mean that everything that happens is his will. If God was controlling the earth, he'd be very confused, wouldn't he? The earth is a confusing place, isn't it? I wouldn't want to serve a God like that if he was in control of the earth, okay? There, there's a ton of stuff going on in planet earth today that are not the will of God at all. If God were in control, you'd have zero strife, zero wars, zero crime, no, no storms, no sickness, no disease if he was in control, but he's not. And we looked at that extensively. And just a reminder, you, it's all free on our website. If you go to highwaychurch.us, you can listen to these messages for free, okay? Just go to highwaychurch.us and click on the podcast button, and all these messages are here. So we're not going to take a lot of time and go back and review, but we, those are available to you uh, anywhere you have an internet connection. You can also download them for offline use as well. So let's look, let's look at God's sovereignty some more. Let's go to Matthew uh, chapter 7. Verse 9, and, and while you're turning there, let's put Hebrews 1.3 up on the screen. This is talking about Jesus. Jesus is the sovereignty of God, right? He's God's sovereignty in the flesh. And this is what it says about Jesus. It says, this son, this Jesus, perfectly mirrors God, and he's stamped with God's nature. This is a verse that absolutely changed my life forever because there are some things. I grew up very sick. Uh, in a medical family, had a lot of health issues. And I thought maybe it was God's will for me to be that way. I didn't know. And then when I started reading the Bible and I learned, wait a minute, Jesus is the will of God. So I started looking at his ministry. I said, did he make anybody sick? No, you won't find it in there. Did he heal people? Yeah, that is what he did a lot of. Right? His, his ministry consisted of teaching, preaching, and healing. So I thought, oh, it's God's will for me to be well. And, and that that understanding of this scripture gave me the confidence to receive healing of all everything I ever had and has kept me healthy these last 20 some years and so this is very important to know that Jesus is the will of God okay so when we're looking at him we're looking at God's sovereignty so we exalt Jesus in Matthew Mark Luke and John above everybody else in the Bible 
okay? So we don't base our beliefs on Noah or Moses or Jacob or Joseph or David or, or even in the New Testament on James, Peter, John, Timothy, Paul. All of our beliefs, everything we believe about God is based on the person of Jesus Christ, okay? The person and ministry of Jesus because he is God, all right? Okay, Matthew chapter 7. Let's listen to the voice of God's sovereignty and take note of how simple he makes it. He just couldn't get any simpler than this. He said, what man is there of you whom if his son asks bread will give him a stone? Clear as day, right? Of course not. None of us would do that. Or if his son asks a fish, will give him a serpent? Of course not. See how simple he makes it? If you then, verse 11, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? More. God's more good, right? He's much more good. How much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give what kind of things? Good. Does it say good and bad things? No. Good things. How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Would a father give bad things to his child? Of course not. Then God would never do that. Isn't that simple? Isn't that, how, isn't that what Jesus said, right? If you would never do that to a child, then your father would never do that to a child, right? Would you ever make your child sick to try and teach them something? No way. Why would we ever think that about God? Unless we thought he was bad, right? Because he'd have to be bad to do that. So keep it simple. There's good and there's bad, right? Good things are good and bad things are bad. Health is good. Sickness is bad, right? Freedom is good. Bondage is bad, right? Wisdom is good. Confusion is bad. Light is good. Darkness is bad, right? We just keep it simple. So Jesus came to clear up the confusion that people had about God, and there's a lot of it, and there's a lot of it today. Because he wants you to have a perfect confidence in God. He wants to absolutely drive every fear out of your life, every worry, every concern, every anxiety. He wants you to live an anxiety-free life. And what will produce that is knowing how good he is. When you know how good he is, fear begins to melt. Anxieties begin to lose their strength in your life. And joy begins to grow. Confidence begins to grow, okay? So he wants you to have this perfect confidence in him, but again, you can't have that if you don't know that he's good all the time, all right? So Jesus says God is good, and he always does what's good. James 1.17 says that God is the giver of every perfect and good gift. Isn't that awesome? We looked at John 10.10. 10. We won't go back there again. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and might have it more abundantly. Wow. That's the sovereignty of God. Abundant life is what he wants for you. Romans 8.32 said that we know that he, if he did not spare his own son, he who did not spare his own son, how will he not also along with him graciously or freely, gladly give us all things? So the truth is God wants to give you all things. And uh, what was the scripture we looked at on Friday at our get-togethers in our home uh, which says, uh, God who, who richly and ceaselessly gives us all things to enjoy. Yeah. So if something's good, you know it's from God. 
It's just that simple, okay? And I think, we, I, think, I think a basic common sense tells us that, right? But then religion gets us all confused. All right. So we have a little, little, little simple Bible interpretation tool here at Highway Church. When you're reading through the Bible, ask yourself the question when you want to understand God's heart. Would a good father do that? Because there are places in the Bible that can be really confusing. And people have misunderstood them and said that God, you know, God causes bad things to happen, teach people things, and God's judgment has fallen when a tragedy happens. And that's just not the Bible. That's not what it teaches. But I can see how people can misunderstand that. So when you're reading through the Bible, ask yourself a question, would a good father do that? Okay? And it's very simple. If the answer is no, then it's not God. Okay? And uh, let's see. So we, we saw last week that God has no partnership with Satan. They have no business deal, okay? They're not partners. Uh, Satan is ag- against everything that's good, right? He's, he's the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy you. He's the one who wants fear in your life. He wants to uh, cause fear and anxiety and worry and stress to grow in your life, okay? And he, he's, he's contrary to God, all right? And we looked at that, it, it, a number of scriptures last week on that, and we won't go back into those again. But let's get into... Um, some more scriptures. We're going to get into Paul's thorn in just a moment here, okay? So we looked at some examples of some scriptures that people have misunderstood. Um, and it's very common for people to pull a scripture out of context or, or, and to try and use it to justify a wrong belief. And what sometimes what we like to do is we like to pull a scripture out of context to justify what we've been through. Because all of us have been through things that weren't God's will. Every one of us. Because we're living in a fallen world. And right, Jesus taught us last week, Satan's the God of this world, right? That's why all the junk's going on in this world. But we don't have to live under his authority anymore, right? When you declare Jesus as Lord over your life, you're not under the authority of Satan anymore. You're under the authority of Christ, and Satan has no authority in your life anymore. And you can live a full, rich, abundant life through Christ. Amen. So we're not afraid of the devil because Jesus is our Lord, right? Okay, so let's see here. Where do we want to jump to? Make sure we get this all in before we leave today. Yeah, so we don't want to try and justify what we've been through with Scripture, okay? Because we've all been through some stuff that wasn't God's will. So the way that what we do with the Scriptures, we want to base our beliefs not on what we've been through, not on what pastors have told us, okay, not on what churches have told us, but on what, who Jesus is. That's a solid belief. That's a foundation nothing can shake, okay? Now, so that's what, we, that's what we're endeavoring to do right here. So we looked at Matthew chapter 5, verse 45 uh, last week. And uh, this is a scripture that many have taken to say that, uh, you can put it up there, Matthew uh, 5, 45. Um, it says, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rains on the just and the unjust. We looked at this. We're not going to look at it extensively this week. But people will pull this little portion and say, see that? God causes bad things to happen. But if you read the verses before that, verses 43 through 48, you find out it's just the opposite is what he's teaching. He's teaching us to love our enemies is what he's talking about. To love our enemies, to do good to those who hate us. Right? To pray for those who despitefully use us. And he says, be like your father, for your father makes his son. What, what, what does a plant need to grow? 
sun and rain, water, right? These are good things. He makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the other. In other words, God gives good things to bad people. Why? Because he loves everybody. He blesses everybody. That's, that's how he does. That's his nature. So they've taken something and they've flipped it around to mean something opposite of what Jesus is teaching there, all right? He loves people. He, he blesses everyone regardless of what they've done. And he wants us to do that. Isn't that great? He wants us to do it. Hallelujah. God is good. So we're going to look at another scripture now. This is another biggie. And it never, and I understand because I was there at one point. But, you know, so there are times I, over the years as a pastor trying to encourage people to receive healing from God, and they'll bring up Paul's thorn. They'll say, what about Paul's thorn? Didn't God make Paul sick to humble him? No, he didn't. Okay, again, it's another misnomer. Let's go there. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And as you're turning there, I'm going to say some shocking things to you. Is that all right? Can I shock you a little bit? Now, well, this you already know. 2 Timothy 3.16 says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So the Bible is inspired by God. It is the Word of God, unquestionably, all right? And it, it is what we look to, to to know Christ through His Word. But the Bible was written by people. Yeah, Ray, that's right. Right? It was written by people. Did you know that? God didn't come down from heaven and get some office furniture and sit down and write the Bible. He spoke to people by his Holy Spirit to write what they wrote. Why is that important? Because people have personalities. Have you ever met someone who doesn't have one? We all do, right? Everybody has a personality. People have attitudes, right? We all have them, right? People have attitudes. They use figures of speech when they talk. That's how we do. We, use fig we paint pictures with words. So why am I saying that? Because when you're reading the Bible, you're reading the truth of God's Word, but you're seeing it, you're, you're, you're hearing it through figures of speech and people's attitudes. Paul is a great example of this. Paul is a very important man. He wrote like two-thirds of the New Testament. But if you'll read his writings, you'll notice he's kind of sarcastic. He's facetious at times. You know, he's got a little bit of a twinge to it, you know. And he's an amazing man. I'm not putting him down. I'm just talking about his personality. So you can read him and take everything literal, and you're going to miss it. Listen, life is not lived in perfectly grammatical sentences, in literal sentences. We don't live life in, in perfect literal sentences and statements. Life is not lived that way, and the Bible's not written that way. So many people got really confused because they take everything in the Bible literally, and they get really kind of stiff, you know, and cranky. Well, because, yeah, because they're taking everything literally. I'll give you an example. So people use figures of speech, right? God uses figures of speech. You remember when Jesus said, why do you look at the speck of dust in your brother's eye and, and not at the plank in your own eye? Was he talking about a two-by-four sticking out of your eye? No, what's he saying? Why are you judging someone else as if you've never done anything wrong? Right? He's not talking about wood and timber, right? But it's a good, it's a good uh, uh, metaphor, analogy, right? It, it, it gets the point across. So God does this a lot. So you have to, and, and how, do, well, how do we know when he's doing it? By knowing his heart, right? 
The way to understand the Bible is to understand the heart of God who inspired the Bible. Okay? Where do we find the heart of God? In Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. First five books of the New Testament. Okay, here we go. Are you ready? You got your seatbelts on. Okay? Okay, so the, the thing that people say about Paul's thorn, are you in 2 Corinthians 11? All right, because we're, we're going to start in 11. I know it's in 12. We're going to start in 11. They basically say that God, you know, used sickness or allowed sickness in Paul's life to humble him. What we're going to find is sickness is not even mentioned in this passage. It has nothing to do with, with what Paul's talking about, okay? Um, and by, by the way, did Jesus teach that, that God uses sickness to humble people? Do you see that anywhere in the ministry of Jesus? One time, not even once. Okay, so we know that thinking can't be right because we've studied the ministry of Jesus, right? It, it really sets you free when you know Jesus. You don't have to buy into all this wrong thinking, okay? All right, so, let's, so we're going to start, even though the Scripture that people take out of context is in 2 Corinthians chapter um, 12, we're going to start all the way back in chapter 11. Why? Because we want to get the context, all right? We don't want to pull one Scripture out of context and say it means something, we have to understand it was in the middle of a lot of things being said here. So to get the context, we're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 11, okay? How you guys doing, all right? Okay, chapter 1, verse 11. Now here's Paul talking. Listen, right away, he's facetious. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. And indeed, you do bear with me. Is he, is he in folly right now? He's going to teach him something very powerful here. For I'm jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. We read that simplicity in Matthew 7, 9 through 11 earlier, right? That, would your father do that? Of course not, right? So don't let anything pull you away from the simplicity that is in Christ, all right? That's where the life is. That's where the power is. And Paul is concerned because they're getting, they're getting pulled away from the simplicity that was in Christ. That's what he's writing about here, not sickness, okay? Verse 4, for if he who comes preaches another Jesus. Does that happen? Yeah. <laughs> Whom we've not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel. Boy, I could go on for days here, but I'm going to keep reading. Or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. I've been amazed at how people accept things they hear in church. Why do they believe that? I've heard some terrible things in church. Terrible. Don't believe it. If it's not about our good, good father, if a good father wouldn't do it, don't believe it. Don't let the devil whisper in your ear. Okay? They put up with it. For some reason, people put up with it, but I'm not anymore. Verse 5, For I considered that I'm not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles. You might have a translation that says super apostles. Right? It's like the Justice League. <laughs> Yeah, he's being facetious, isn't he? Right? The most eminent, the super apostles. A little tongue-in-cheek right now, right? That's a figure of speech, isn't it? Tongue-in-cheek, right? Okay, that's how we talk. 
All right, now, to save time, I'm going to zip through verses 6 through 22. If you'll read it, Paul begins comparing himself to the quote-unquote super apostles. Because understand, Paul wasn't with Jesus when Jesus was on earth. He wasn't part of the original 12. Jesus rose from the dead. The Holy Spirit came in the book of Acts, and Paul came after that. Paul used to persecute the church. So he wasn't in. He wasn't on the in crowd. Right? People say, well, you weren't with Jesus. I was with him on earth. So he had to kind of come against this misnomer. But Christ appeared to Paul personally, the risen Christ. Wow. And he gave him the revelation we have in the New Testament of righteousness by faith, of being saved by grace. So this, this guy's significant, right? And then verse 23 through 29, we'll go there. Let's go to verse 23. You're going to see Paul begins to list all of the persecutions that he's gone through for preaching the simplicity that is in Christ. You know, you can get kicked out of churches for preaching what Paul's preaching, what we're preaching here. It's unfortunate, but it happens. The simplicity that is in Christ. That's what we're about here at Highway Church. We're keeping it simple. Verse 23, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. (laughs) This guy's funny, isn't he? I more so. Look at this. He's saying, I've been in far more, I've worked harder than the original 12. Wow. In far more imprisonments. How about these? Boasting about going to jail, huh? <laughs> Why'd he go to prison for preaching the gospel, right? Beaten times without number. Wow. And we could read through this in a few seconds, but let's kind of get an idea of what he's saying here. This is huge. This is significant. Imprisoned working harder than the others, beaten ties without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Five times at different points in his life. Can you imagine that? I really can't. I try sometimes, but it's just, you know, none of us will probably ever go through anything like he's been through. Verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. Oh, happy day, right? My goodness, right? Once I was stoned. Yeah, that's not on drugs, right? <laughs> and you can read about that, you can, right? Where they, I, that threw stones at him and killed, not, and killed him. He fell dead, and God raised him up. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. That's without any gear, right? No, no tank, no oxygen tank. Can you imagine? Out in the deep, nothing. Floating on the water. Yeah. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food in cold and exposure. None of these things was voluntary. Paul didn't choose these things. This was persecution for preaching the simplicity of Christ. Verse 28, apart from such external things, as if that's not enough, there is the daily, daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Hey. 
when you have a calling in your life to be a leader in the body of Christ, it's different. There's a pressure where you want people to be set free. And you hear the garbage that's coming from some pulpits and you want to scream sometimes. There's a, there's a, 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 a God desire inside to, to have a place where people can come and not have weights strapped to them, but have weights removed. So that's on top of the persecution. Who is weak? And I'm not weak. Wow. Who's made to stumble? And I don't burn with indignation. Verse 30, if I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. Psalm 34, uh, what Scripture says, uh, boast in the Lord, O my soul. Uh, wait a minute. How does it say it, Psalm 34? I will boast in the Lord. Um, at all, uh, let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Yeah, I will make my boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. So the right, the good kind of boasting is boasting in what Christ has done for us. That's what he's talking about. All right? Now, you might have a translation in verse 30. We have it there. It says, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. Okay? Well, the New American Standard says weakness. Now, people will read this verse. They'll say, ah, seen that word? Infirmity. Paul had an infirmity. Well, words have different meanings, okay? You understand the meaning of a word by the context in which it's used. Didn't Paul say he was in labor in verse 27? Was he having a baby? No. Words have different meanings. Labor can mean having a baby, but can mean also working, right? And having a baby is work, isn't it? <laughs> so you've got to understand the context of something's being used to understand the what's being said. He's talking about weakness. Infirmity also means weakness. What's weakness? The inability to produce the result. Paul couldn't go through this stuff without God. He would have been dead. He's boasting in the fact that he could not have done this. He didn't list all these things. So they say, boy, Paul, you're really amazing. He's saying, I want you to know you can't live life in your own strength. I want to encourage you to let God be the strength of your life. So I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. Because by, by me telling you what I've been through, I want you to see that God will do the same for you, that God will be your strength, that God will be your victory. All right? Yes, amen. God is good. So the context of what Paul's talking about is what? Preaching the simplicity of Christ and being persecuted for it, extreme persecution, and God delivering him from every one of them. That's the context of what we're talking about here. You know the Bible wasn't written in chapters and verses, right? It's just one big letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. All right. Now we've taken it and put numbers next to it, and that's helpful. But it's one flowing letter. All right. So we're going to keep on flowing. Um, so that's the end of chapter eleven, but it's going to flow right into verse one. So Paul is is basically declaring. He's saying, if I'm going through something that's beyond my ability to produce the result, God shows up. And he later wrote in Philippians four. 19, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Same guy. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, I'm not weak, 
because in myself I'm weak, but I'm not weak because I'm trusting in him and I want you to know where my strength comes from. This is what he's teaching here. And that's real humility. Paul was a humble man. Real humility is knowing you can do nothing apart from God and knowing that with him you can do all things. Got to have both for real humility. All right? Okay? So verses 1 through 6 of chapter 12, Paul continues to give his credentials of apostleship, right? He continues to boast in the Lord to exhort us to put our confidence in God. All right, so let's read verse 1. We're almost done. Hang in there, guys. We're going to get through this because I think it's good. All right? Boasting is necessary. Boasting in the Lord is what he's doing, right? Though it is not profitable, <laughs> he's being funny. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Now, listen how, look how he says this. He's talking about himself, but look what he says. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, he's talking as if it was someone else, not him, but it's him. Whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. That's what happened to Paul. He was, he was taken to heaven and given personal revelation of salvation by, by grace, righteousness by faith. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak on behalf of such a man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except in regard to my weakness. This is a clever way of getting a point across, but it can be misunderstood if you get caught up in literal words. For if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking of the truth, or the truth. But I refrain from this, so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. And here's the big verse that so many have distorted. We got the context now, all right? And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, who gave Paul the revelations? Jesus, right? It was God's will for him to, to understand the gospel that we have and to teach it and preach it, all right? A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan. Where did the thorn come from? God or Satan? How do I know that? He tells me. Right there. I don't have to wonder. Right? It's right there. Why? So, so we, know, we know this messenger of Satan was given for what purpose? To buffet Paul, to keep him, to stop him from preaching the gospel. Right? Lest I be exalted above measure. So in this one little verse... We learn what the thorn is. Is it a sickness? No. What is it? A messenger of Satan. Did I make that up? It's right there. You don't have your religious goggles on, do you? You've taken them off. We're just reading the Bible. So in this verse tells us not only what the thorn is, it's a messenger of Satan, a spirit of darkness, a demon, but it tells us who it was from. Was it from God? It was from Satan, how do we know? It tells us. It tells us why it came. We got the what. We got the who. We got the why. Why did it come? To try and stop Paul from preaching the simplicity of faith in Christ. Yeah. 
We, we got, we got uh, what the messenger was doing in his life is given to us in chapter 11, which we read. Verses 23 through 28, this dark spirit was following Paul around, inciting people against Paul. And boy, religious people can get nasty. Nasty. Because they're so set in their ways. Then someone comes along and says, you can be saved by grace through faith. What? No, you have to go through our system. We've had this system for 300 years, and here's the 33,000 steps you need to take to go through it. And if you don't, you're a a heathen, right? People get mad because they're holding on to wrong stuff. That's not us. We've let go. We want Jesus, right? So verse 8, let's continue. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Verse 9, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Keep that verse up there. Is the word no anywhere in this verse? I can't see it. Can you? I've heard so many say God told Paul no. Where? Do you see a no anywhere? Now, there are hundreds of English translations. In one translation, I saw one. It's an error. I think it's New Living or something like that. You understand the New Testament was written in Greek. Okay? We've translated it into English. If you look at the Greek, there is absolutely no, no there. And most translations don't have it because it's just simply not there. But what happens with Bible translations, we're going to learn more about this in our next step in this series, you get people trying to translate the Bible and they're kind of confused. And they start uh, inferring things in a lot of the modern translations. But again, you can see this as you study Jesus. It becomes clear. So there's no no in there. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect. When you're weak, I'm strong, Paul. Right? I'm your victory. This is an answer to what Paul prayed. All right? God answered him, and he said, I'm your strength. And he's saying, uh, oh, this is so good. The word sufficient. Now, I, I went back to look at the Greek word here. I like doing that. The Greek word sufficient is very powerful. And we think sufficient. That means like, you know, having enough to eat. No. In this context, it has this connotation of raising up a barrier against your enemy. The Greek is very colorful. But it it says, basically, Paul, my grace is a barrier against your enemy to ward off your enemy. You can look in Strong's Exhaustive Concordance It's very powerful. He said, Paul, don't you know I'm your shield? My grace is raising up a barrier to ward off your enemy. I'm causing you to avail and to triumph in every situation. You see how wrong believing can rob you of the power in that verse? Right? He's saying, in me, Paul, you have the victory. Don't live life in your own strength. Let me be your strength. Isaiah 40, verse 30 and 31, those who wait upon the Lord shall gain new strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. That's what God's telling Paul right here. See? Hallelujah. Yeah, he says, you experience my strength when you stop relying on yourself and rely on me. All right? This is what's being taught here. Has nothing to do with sickness. Not a thing. Okay? Never even mentioned All right, so let's look here. Okay, verse 9. Let's go to verse 9. And let's put that up in the NIV. We have it in the NIV there. 
So Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Why? So that Christ's power, in other words, I'm going to remind myself of whose strength I'm living in. Right? You see what he's saying here? So that Christ's power may rest on me. Verse 10, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, which he listed, right, in in chapter 11, verses 23 through 28. I delight in these challenges, in these hardships, in these persecutions, in these difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Very powerful revelation here that's totally been missed by so many because of this wrong teaching out there. All right, we're almost done. Now, let's look at this term thorn in the flesh. This is really fun. Are you ready? Paul used a figure of speech from the Old Testament. Okay? Paul was an expert in the Old Testament. He was an expert in the Scriptures. Okay? He was trained by the best. So when Paul used this term thorn in the flesh, he took it right from the Old Testament. We're going to look at it. Okay? So thorn in the flesh is an Old Testament term, thorn in particular is, that was used as a metaphor for a person or group that persecutes God's people. Let's look at Numbers chapter 33. Pull it up here real quick. Numbers 33. We got just a few more and we're going to be done. Numbers 33, 35. It says, God is talking to his people. He says, if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, talking about people who are against them, not sickness, Those you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes. Is that literal? No. It's a figure of speech. God's using figures of speech. And what? Thorns in your sides. Were these people literally transformed into thorns and sticking in their sides? No. In other words, they're going to be trouble for you. Right? You see what he's saying? He's using figures of speech to describe persecution. Paul did the same thing. They will give you trouble. There it is. They'll give you trouble in the land where you will live. You see that? Paul was well aware of these scriptures. He was an expert in the New Testament. So in the context here, God's enemies are called thorns in Israel's side. Not talking about sickness. Uh, Okay? He's saying uh, they will vex and torment them. These thorns were human beings inspired by God's enemies. That's what that thorn was. It was a spirit of darkness inciting people against Paul. Let's look at two more examples and we're done. Joshua 23, another example. Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you and scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes. Another figure of speech. Until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. One more. We'll we'll do three here. So what's he doing? Talking about people who are against God. He's speaking of ungodly people. And now in, in, in Judges 2, 3, he's talking about people, ungodly people they made a covenant with. And this is what he says. They shall be thorns in your side, and their God shall be a snare to you. It's clear now, isn't it? We're seeing what, God, what God's really talking about. So who is trying to keep Paul from being exalted? God or Satan. Satan. Yeah, Satan didn't want the message Paul had to go forth. What's 1 Peter 5 says? 5, 6 say, it says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord that he may exalt you in due time. God wants to exalt you. Wow, isn't that great? God wants to lift you up. Now, let's see how we do this here. We've got about two more minutes. Simplicity of faith. Yeah. So God exalted Paul to the point where he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament right? God exalted him. 
He is forever uh, in a special place for the significance of what he's done. Satan was trying to stop Paul, and it had nothing to do with humility. And here's why I want to disclaim show this the fault of this, this false teaching that Paul was prideful and needed to be humbled. If Paul was conceited, Satan wouldn't have been trying to stop him. Why? Proverbs 16, 18 says that pride comes before the fall. So Paul is conceited, Satan would go, Paul. Yeah, you're doing great. I mean, you're the best. You're super. You're superman. You, you, those other Paul, you're just great, right? Paul wouldn't have been trying, or Satan wouldn't have been trying to stop Paul if he was conceited. So that whole thinking is wrong. Paul was a humble man. Right? All right. So this passage, this thorn, hopefully we've dismantled it, and you can see that it has nothing to do with sickness nor humility. It's about the simplicity of faith in Christ. It's about living life with God as your strength. It's about the grace of God that raises up a barrier against our enemies and gives us the victory. And it's about fulfilling God's calling on your life. Amen. All right, that's good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much uh, for this time together, and we thank you for unveiling more of Jesus to us this morning. Lord, we open our hearts, and we say, Lord, this week belongs to you. On this first day of the week, we've started off right. We've come here, and we've learned about you. Lord, transform us today, this week. Help us to know you more and to experience all that you have At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life He came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.